Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. I've got some calls this week, including one that I missed last week from Riley, so we will definitely get to those. But I want to talk a little bit about trolls. So I had to redo or look into my trolls because the party's going to fight one. And remember, I've been changing fantasy combat, and trolls are one of those specialized creatures. So I, I decided to look back at them because I remembered that the way I did them before was I think I just made them troll ogre, just like they're listed in the book, which seems fair. Except when you actually look at Chainmail, it talks about the fact that ogres are ogres and true trolls are something different. So what they're calling a true troll in Chainmail, number one, fights as a giant. Okay, so that's a big deal. The difference between giant and ogre is pretty serious as far as the attack. But also there's some other things here that I had to consider. Let me read from Chainmail. True trolls can only be killed in fantastic combat against hero types, balrogs, elementals, and giants. Magical weapons will also kill trolls. Use the combat table below. So when you are attacking trolls, only those creatures listed above can fight them on fantastic combat. I will say, because when I looked at this, I said, hold on, why are dragons listed? I guess a dragon can't kill a troll in fantastic combat. But if we look at dragon's breath... A dragon can fly overhead and belch fire down its enemies at the end of its move. Dragon fire will kill any opponent it touches except another dragon, superhero, or a wizard who save on two dice roll of seven or better. Certain elementals are also impervious to dragon fire. And this is after breathing. It goes into the things. The following fantastic creatures. Dragons will automatically attack in order of preference the following fantastic creatures. Dragons, giants, balrogs, rocks. True trolls, elementals, etc. So basically what it's saying here is that dragons cannot fight true trolls on fantastic combat, but dragons can kill them with their dragon's breath. And the troll is not impervious to that. Also, if we look at wizards, we see again a list of creatures that can save against the wizard's fireball and lightning and the troll is not listed. So it's not like, so a wizard can't fight a true troll on fantasy combat using the fantastic combat chart but a wizard can lightning bolt or fireball a troll and it will kill them. So there's that just in case you were thinking that because it took me a minute. I was like, hold on. So that's kind of interesting, right? So what do we do with all this? What I'm going to do is the following. I'm going to make it so that if you are not listed on that list, you won't have a number to defeat a troll in fantastic combat, which means that only those things listed, hero, superhero, Balrog, whatever. However, if you have a magic weapon, which is the other part I did not read. There's an asterisk next to magical weapons. It says eight or better next to magical weapons, then there's an asterisk. If used by a figure that can kill true troll without the aid of magical weapons, add two to the dice attack. Okay, so this means that anybody with a magical weapon can hit, it says kill here, because again, what hits one kill in chainmail, can hit a true troll on an eight plus. If they're using a magical weapon, they get a plus two if they could have hit them anyways, like a hero or a superhero. However, in Chainmail, magical weapons in fantasy combat add one. So what it's basically saying is it doubles the chance to hit, the, the bonus to hit. So the way I'm going to interpret that for D&D, because D&D has plus one sword, plus two swords, plus three swords, I'm going to just double it. Now, this makes it quite powerful, and we're going to try it. It might be too powerful, but trolls are pretty tough. And I think that even giving that massive advantage, 
you're probably going to have a hard time facing off it with a troll, especially if there's multiple trolls. So just to run through it, if they are using, let's say, for instance, one of my characters, one of my players has a plus one sword. They can fight as hero because they're like an eighth level magic user. Now, of course, they, as wizard, they wouldn't be able to, but because they're eighth level magic user, they can fight as hero. They will need an eight plus, right? Because they're using a magic sword, but they're also the type that can kill without the magic sword, which means that they will double the bonus of their sword. So they'll get a plus two. So they'll be just like what's here. They'll roll 2d6, plus two, eight plus, they hit the troll. They will do damage, which is my rules, equal to their hit dice, which I believe is four or five. However, this is where it's going to be interesting. One of my characters has the troll killing sword, right? The troll killing sword is plus three versus trolls. So in case you haven't done the math really quickly there, three doubled is six. So that's plus six. Well, if you're rolling 2d6 plus six, you can't get less than an eight. Now, granted, an eight exactly would be a clash. So if they roll double ones, they'll get a clash. That means that the troll killing sword is basically going to, in the hands of a hero, going to almost always kill a troll in one strike. And I think that's pretty awesome. I'm actually okay with that. We'll see how it plays out. Now, when I say that, I say kill because, just in case you're new to the system, normally you do amount of damage equal to your hit dice when you are attacking a fantastic creature. However, if you have a sword that is a sword only that is designed to kill a certain type of creature, you do a, a bonus number of dice of damage equal to the bonus of the sword. So a troll killing sword plus three would do three extra hit dice of damage. A hero is going to be four hit dice. So four plus three is seven. Trolls are six hit dice. So that troll is going down in one hit. Now, if you're only a hero when you're fighting a troll, there's still a very, very good chance that the troll will kill you. I think they need like a six plus on that turn as well or take you out anyways. And even if you say, well, the troll knocks you unconscious, which is probably what I would do because I feel like trolls are the kind that would like capture you and eat you later, then you're both laying there, right? The troll regenerates, right? And if a troll is reduced to, is defeated basically, so reduced to zero or below, they will regenerate one hit die every other round. And when they get three hit dice again, they stand up and start fighting. So a hero with that sword by themselves will go there, defeat the troll. The troll will go down. The hero will go down. If they don't wake up from their unconscious state, which I would make some kind of random rolls, how long that takes before the troll regenerates, that hero is dead meat. So it's it's not like a, it's, so you get that little extra complication there, which I think is kind of cool. Anyways, the way I handle the regeneration, just so you know, trolls are not vulnerable to fire in this, which means that you can't hit them with the torch and they won't regenerate. Basically, once they're defeated, you must burn any of the remains for 10 minutes in order to stop the troll from regenerating. So, yeah, it's, it definitely requires some strategy. I think trolls are tough. Even with the bonus of having the super special sword, it's not going to be an easy combat. But I will let you know how it goes. That's kind of how I'm handling it for now. I guess the one question that I have is, do you think doubling the uh, the attack bonus on the sword, again, only the attack bonus, is too much? Should it just be a straight plus two? Because I guess the plus three sword would still do the plus three hit dice, so it's not like it's it's completely uh, nerfing it. But should it just be a plus two because that's what it says there? Or do you think the way I'm interpreting it, which is doubling, which is what it does, would be the way you'd handle it? Let me know what you think. Speaking of what people think, we have some calls. Hey Daniel, 
Riley here. Just want to give you a call on the latest episode. Minor point, I don't think the bloodied condition actually exists in any of the 5e rules. It's just come across from the play culture. I'm not sure where from. I figure most 5e players didn't play 4e or didn't play it very much. The way you describe it is how a lot of tables use it. It's just not in any of the rule books. I think it's an interesting idea, though triple damage is, is quite deadly. And then monsters obviously have the advantage of really only existing for one account one encounter most of the time so they don't get the downside of fighting at half uh, strength afterwards so it's kind of like crits and crit fails they often favor the monsters more because they're going to make fewer dice checks than the players will and i think it makes a lot of sense for the, the case of the werewolf where that's kind of built into the fiction they've got that rage um, that they can call upon and obviously as you mentioned the sort of adrenaline that can kick in um, with a fighter that makes sense but triple just might be a bit much in my mind obviously you know try it out and uh see how see how it works in play for fantasy combat i think most of the time it's not not going to come into effect right um when you're fighting a three hit dice creature and your four hit dice you're going to kill them in one shot anyway so really only the penalty is going to apply i guess uh, you know when something's more hit dice than you that they're never going to get you to bloodied of course, if you're fighting a weaker creature and a stronger creature, if the weaker creature hits you, perhaps then you can turn around and, and use that extra strength against the higher uh, hit dice creature. Um, but most of the time, it's just going to be the penalty. So I'm not sure that works really well for fantasy. Of course, that might be me uh, misinterpreting how the rules work. As far as normal types, fighting is light foot, so do your peasants. That kind of makes sense to me. In Chainmail, it lists Lightfoot as missile troops, peasants, and crews. So that's that. Though I'm assuming what they mean by peasants are untrained combatants in rags <laughs> with a pitchfork, not untrained combatants in full plate and a two-handed sword. So, I mean, I think you could go either way, treating them all as Lightfoot or minus one to level or minus one men. That it all makes sense. I think you settled on <laughs> on how you want to run it anyway, uh, as you were just talking talking about it, and I think that's fine. Anyway, enjoying the content as always, and I'll talk to you later. Bye for now. All right, that was Riley from the Diegetic Advancement Podcast. Um, <laughs> yes, I, you know, it's funny you say that I did settle on something, but I cannot remember what it was that I settled on. <laughs> I think I said this last podcast. I have to go back and listen to what I said, because I think I did feel pretty happy. I think it was... Maybe it was minus one man. I, I think I think that made sense. So, which is what I was doing with magic users anyways, which means I'm not changing anything. I think that's what I settled on. So not changing anything is usually good. You brought up an incredibly good point. The idea that the monsters aren't going to be around, right? So it's more of a penalty towards the player characters than anything. So is it worth it? I will say again, because I guess maybe the way I explained it, or maybe I said it this way and I was, I actually said it because it seemed like, uh, multiple people, I think it was Jason, took it this way as well. You wouldn't do the extra damage. You would do you would do it, you would get extra attacks. So I mean, whether or not that amounts to triple damage, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be the same, right? Because if you had four attacks, and well, no, I guess it could. I guess it could end up being the same. So, but that point that you made though about the crits is a very good one, and I think you're right. I think that doesn't. In fact, it makes me think that it would only be something I'd use for monsters and not all of them. Maybe add it to a couple other new monsters if I come up with them, but 
keep it for the the werewolves because that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, no, no, that that that's that's a very good point. You know, I feel like the crit thing. I know people say that right, it benefits the monsters more because they roll more dice, or whatever. I'm not sure. I found most players like crits, so <laughs> they like to use them. My 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 standpoint on critical hits and misses is that I ask the table. In fact, when I was running my 5e game, funny enough, the um, we had a bunch of different tables and I would ask before each session, I'd say, are we doing crits tonight? And if they were like, yeah, we're going to do crits because sometimes they didn't feel like it, right? <laughs> Their mood at the table. And then I would say, yeah. and then I would say, okay, do you want to pick a table? Or you want to roll randomly? And, you know, my group generally liked to use crits and generally liked to roll randomly. So sometimes I'd get like the very basic table and sometimes they get the insane one where like, you know, you, you have a critical miss and for some reason you turn blue. I mean, they liked it. It was weird. And that was fun. You know, it was fun for them. And if it's fun for them, that means it works. But I do think that baking something into the rules like this and then realizing later, like, oh, yeah, that sucks because, sure, it affected the the Minotaur. But now the the PC, it affected the PC more because they're still alive and they have to deal with the fact that healing is really slow. So that makes a lot of sense. As far as fantasy. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking about regular combat now. As far as fantasy, yeah, I think it just doesn't work in fantasy because exactly what you said. If they're weaker than you, you take them out in one hit. If they're if they're weaker than you, then they might hit you once and get you down to the half, but then it's it's not going to matter because you'll probably take them out the next round. You know, so it's, it's it kind of doesn't matter, I guess, unless you're fighting multiple creatures in fantasy combat, which isn't really how I initially envisioned fantasy combat. Although I am finding that that is becoming a thing, so. At least for now, I think I'm going to scrap the idea. That's interesting that you say that it's not in the 5e rules. You know, I thought that it was because I don't know where I got it from then. Maybe YouTube videos. Who knows? But uh, I never played 4th edition. I never heard the term except uh, in 5e. And I always thought that, right, just showing that somebody's hurt was interesting as a telegraphing tool. But I never thought it was, you know, I was like, well, that's kind of an interesting thing to add. And then I'd learned recently how they use it in 4th edition. So anyways... That's very interesting. I guess there you go. Culture teaches us things that aren't actually in the rules. Thanks, Riley, for calling in. I will put, if I didn't say it already, uh, their podcast link in the show notes. Hey, Daniel, this is Merck. Just listening to your latest episode. Uh, you're talking about uh, spells and whether or not you should allow uh, quiet spells. And it, it got me thinking on a couple of different lines. I'm sure you're aware that sorcerers and 5e and probably earlier editions, they have meta magic where they can use meta magic points to make their spells subtle. So they get rid of the verbal component for their spells with that. So there, there is some level of a precedent for it. Um, and I, I do like how you're, you know, you're jumping statures depending on the conditions of your spell. Uh, and you also mentioned not wanting to have material components, but maybe by default your spells are just verbal and you can tweak them to make them more quiet and that tweaks the statures. But then on top of that, maybe you could also add in material components, which also impact at what stature level somebody would be rolling what number. There's my cat. Uh, so maybe... That's um, another possibility. So, like, if you, if you, if you make your spell verbal and you also have a material component, it's going to be harder for the person you're casting the spell on to resist it. 
And I don't know if you want to do somatic, you know, as well, but those are just some initial thoughts that I have on the matter. All right. That was Merck the Meek from the Merck the Meek podcast. Uh, Again, I'll put a link in the show notes. Good thoughts there. Definitely. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I will admit that the casting quietly is something that I, right. I knew that the sorcerer did in 5e. And I think I had seen recently somebody talking about how it was broken, but then I thought, well, actually it's kind of, (laughs) and it is something people ask about a bunch, right? So I, I figured it was something to look at. You know, it's interesting about the material components. What I like that, except I think that I'd have to really dig into like the material components being something significant, right? It can't just be some sand for the sleep spell and then it allows you to, well, sleep doesn't have a saving throw, but, and then it allows you to, um, I just, that's still what I always can remember. And then, then that allows you to cast it better because what'll happen is some spells are just too powerful, right? And the next thing you know, people are going to be, but if you, you know, made like to cast a fireball at one stature higher, you know, you had to like crush a ruby worth, you know, 500 gold pieces that might be worthwhile. Um, but then you won't run into, uh, issues with, uh, with people just going, okay, well I'll buy this thing one time or whatever, or something that's cheap. And then I can just use it all the time. I especially think it'd be useful for healing, you know, again, maybe not to make saving throws better, but the idea of like, you know, a cleric can lay hands upon somebody and heal them. It, well, in my game, it takes them up for 24 hours, but maybe it reduces the amount of time if they have certain, you know, components that they can put on it, certain uh, solves or whatever. So I do love the idea of material components. I, I, I it could be a rabbit hole <laughs> and maybe an appendix in the game, but I definitely love that idea because then you could, but I like where you're coming from, where you could say, well, you know, with normally with charm person, you got to speak this out loud and cast a charm person spell. But maybe the material component for a charm person is like, you know, swinging your watch, right? Like you hypnotize people, right? So maybe you have this like elaborate special watch made for charm person. That's a thousand gold pieces. And you can just use that instead of, uh, you know, you see that sometimes in horror movies where they hypnotize people doing like tricky stuff, you know, where they're like doing something. You're like, are they hypnotizing that person? And that's exactly what they're doing. I'm not quite sure that that would work like that. And nor do I know much about hypnotism, but you know, in movies, they do it all the time. And I mostly care about cool fiction and and tropes more so than reality. But yeah, I love it. I love the idea of it. I think having specialized items, so they're almost like magic items. Now, the more I'm thinking about this, it's almost like a magic item, but it would be something that was a magic item that was made for that task that would probably be destroyed once you used it. Maybe like with the charm person, whatever it is, at the end of casting the spell, you have to give it to them or something, and then they have to have it on their possession or the spell's broken. That way you can't just keep reusing the same watch. Hmm. Interesting. I like it. And uh, you got me thinking. Thanks. Hey, Daniel. Jason here. I know I'm behind in podcast listening because I've been sick. I've been listening because I haven't been able to call because of congestion and stuff. <laughs> Anyhow, I wanted to call in reference your Kenny G um, podcast, your latest podcast. I have not, I do not have a copy of that game, unfortunately. The closest thing I have to that might be the um, Ghost Dog RPG. But yeah, we'll have to see if we can track that down. I'd, I'd be down to play that. Uh, the other thing I want to mention is you talk about doing the project, about everybody sending zines to each other, homemade zines, and I would be down for that, definitely. But it's funny, you talk about worrying about things disappearing because of technology and all just being online. And 
you know, we're in that situation for the past like 20 years, right? And, and all the old stuff on web forums and old web pages, you know, remember all the old web stuff, whether it's Google Plus or Yahoo, when people had Yahoo pages or GeoCities and all that stuff, all that knowledge is gone when it disappears. I mean, I know there's web archive and all that kind of thing and, and like the Wayback Machine, but honestly, a lot of it just goes away when it stopped being supported, people stop paying for those websites, right? And it's a shame because there's a ton of data out there. I mean, look at our discords. You know, there's so much information on those discords and cool ideas on those discords that if you don't see it the day it goes on there, the chances of it being seen are pretty small. With a web forum, the traditional style web forum, it's more likely to be seen, you know, because that deals with time better than discord does. But you know, unless somebody's sitting there printing out all this stuff, you, you know, these cool ideas, like all these blogs, these wonderful blogs and cool stuff on blogs and all, unless you're printing off those blog pages and putting them in a folder, you know, that's just waiting to go away. And and, and it's scary because every now and then you'll go to a blog you've, that's, you know, the, the creator stopped updating, but you still go there and read it because you enjoy it. And then one day you get there and it's gone, right? And... Yeah, that that's a scary thing. Um, you know, the other thing that bugs me a little bit, though, is exclusivity. I love the idea of having the zines and all, but I do like the idea of them being available to everybody. So I do like the also, also the possibility of PDFs and maybe limited print runs, but then the information being put online, even though I've just railed against things being online, but not really, but... Because I, one thing I hate with Kickstarter is the idea, these, idea of these exclusive rewards. I mean, I don't care about t-shirts and buttons and pins and things, but I care about, you know, well, this adventure module you only get if you're a limited backer of this Kickstarter and nobody else will ever get a copy of this adventure module. Well, you know, I hate that. I, I really do. Um, so I don't know. Maybe I just, um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I have two feelings about it, but if, a zine thing gets spun up, let me know. I'll, I'll participate. Well, that was Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'll put a link down in the show notes. I think this is a really good topic. In fact, I was just talking to Todd from Hexpress last night, or maybe two nights ago, about Discord. And one of the things he was saying, and I think I don't want to, this is not an exact quote, but basically he was talking about was that Discord is not searchable from outside Discord, which of course is great when you want to have a private Discord where you chat with your friends or whatever. But because of that, it is very limiting, right? It's like if you have a, a forum or something's on the internet, ultimately the spiders, I don't know what they still call that, will pick it up so people can find it. So you have this blog and you write something or this forum and you write some ideas down. Eventually people can find it via search online. But Discord is not like that. So if Discord at some point decided to just shut down and take away our servers, then we would have nothing because we don't have that. And that's one of the problems. It's the same problem with YouTube. It's the same problem with Twitter or any of those things. If they go away, you you don't own any of that, right? What, you, what, you, what you've got is nothing in the end, right? So that is kind of the nature of such things. So I'm not sure about the big, how to, I'm, not, I'm not sure how to solve the problems of the world. But I will say, if you're down for this zine thing, so am I. I I'm, all right, let me I'll put my organizer hat on. So if anybody else is interested in this, and I, let me know. I think the way to do it, though, because you make a very valid point, I don't want to make it exclusive. 
you know, like I say, sometimes the fact that things aren't around forever is a positive, but at the same time, I don't want to keep people out of it because they, they don't either can't participate because they aren't necessarily don't think of themselves as a creator or don't feel comfortable sharing their stuff, or perhaps it could be a monetary reason. They don't, they don't have the extra 10 bucks a month or whatever that they could use to be mailing stuff around to people. And I definitely don't want to keep people out. So I think what we'll have to do with this is find a home for it where everybody can send the physical copy out and then we can put a PDF together of the various uh, one pages for anybody who wants access to it. We can put it on itch or on maybe on my my WordPress or on Jason's because Jason has a great blog that he's been working on lately, which I am like two weeks behind on. So he's behind on podcasts. I'm behind on blogs. So yeah, yeah. Okay. That sounds really cool. I like that idea. As far as Kenny G, I'll be sure to bring it with me to ShireCon. Hopefully you'll definitely still be able to make it this year. Uh, we got the, the Kenny G game. If I don't play it by then, we'll definitely break it out um, at ShireCon. It could be kind of fun. You know, I just think these games are really fun and interesting because you can find, I mean, I'm sure the mechanics of the game are whatever the mechanics are. It might just be a fun little game, but it's, the, you know, it's this like layering of this like Kenny G-ness to it. And the, the funny part about it is, I thought, was that it, it, it's authorized by his people, you know, and it's got like, you know, ran out of hair product. Like it just, it, you know, it's kind of like poking fun at himself. And and I always appreciate when people can poke fun at themselves and they don't take themselves too seriously. So, yeah. So I'm with you, Jason, on, on some level, I am also of two minds, right? I mean, I definitely like the the physical copy. I like the the idea of getting it, but I also don't want to keep people out. Oh, keep people, prevent people, I shouldn't say keep people, but prevent people from having access to something that, that people want to share, right? And I think anybody getting involved in this would probably want to share something. So anyways, it wouldn't be about uh, making money. I mean, I said $10, but I'm just talking about if you're sending stuff out to people, it's going to cost you a little bit in stamps and such. With all that being said, I guess hidden in the depths of this podcast, 20 minutes into it, uh, you have just got the announcement that we'll shoot for like uh, spring, spring 2024. We'll see if we can get, let's say by the end of March, we'll try to get together a handful of people that are willing to do this little uh, swap. And we'll also figure out a way that we can make it available for people that they can grab copies of whatever we create uh, online if they are not able to or don't want to participate in the physical version of it. So we will do that. And uh, yeah, I'll update you hopefully soon. I don't think I'll, did I say end of March? Gary Cons this month. I don't think this is going to happen. Maybe we'll get the list together by the end of March, but we're not going to start by the end of March. Man, Gary Khan is approaching quickly and I'm getting all my stuff out. You know, every time before I do a Gary Khan, because I've started in the last few years running the same adventures. I used to create five or six new adventures every time I played at a con, but it was a lot. And um, and then you're always like worried, like, are these going to be good for a con? I mean, luckily I've been, I've been pretty good and everybody seems to have liked everything. But now I have a handful of adventures, about 10 of them, that I've run multiple times at cons that I really like. It, there is some pressure taken off me because I have the adventures, but I still have to organize everything, get the minis, get the adventures. And then, of course, I'm always tweaking them. I'm like, oh, but I could remember last year when this happened. So I'm kind of in that mode now, but I will see. I'm putting the call out now. Uh, send me a message or like a text typed up message if you're interested or call in if you want to commit that way, commit uh, that way uh, or any way you want to reach out to me. And I will, um, I guess I'll mention it on, you know, a part of me wants to mention it on YouTube. Maybe I will because I have a bit of a more of a reach there, if you will. But, uh, you know, I feel like the anchor community and discord community may be different. So we'll see. I'll, I'll throw it out there too and see if people are interested in it. Anyways, we'll see if we can get some people together. I mean, 
We'll, we'll get like 500 people who will, will be overwhelmed and we'll all go broke buying postage stamps. It will revive the U.S. Postal Service and the world will change. So there we go. We're changing the world. Moving on. Hey, Daniel, it's Direct Sun here. I was just listening to Jason's comment about your bloodied episode and how he was saying that uh, some people might game the system, rules as written, beat up their friend, get him to half hit points or bloodied or whatever. Uh, to get his uh, powers activated and get him pumped up and stuff. And uh, that sounds awesome, actually. I could totally see, like, a berserker flavor, like, player going in and be like, yes, we're hyping ourselves up, we're in for battle. And um, even if you don't wind up allowing this or putting the rule in there, I think... Jason and you have stumbled upon uh, what's great in designing games and modules and stuff because when you come across those small little things, a game designer might say, you know what? You design a mechanic specifically around this. Like a berserker rage kind of thing where you you know, want to allow players to have this option you think that they might get the idea for this like reward them for that and then also provide like a little flavorful drawback for that and um i'm sure you figure something out when you do it there um yeah i just wanted to chime in with that a little bit i thought it was a really fun idea so i could definitely see people using that for the flavor in their games anyway take care all right that was direct sun and i'll put links to their stuff in the show notes just like everybody else yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think I already replied to Jason before you sent this, but it, maybe you hadn't heard it yet, where I said that I was okay with it, um, them doing it. Because, well, first of all, there is a penalty. It's a pretty steep one. So, and, you know, again, I think it's just an interesting uh, move. One of my f- things that I don't love, right, about certain systems, it's weird, right? People have like these kind of extreme uh, they're not really extreme. Come on, it's games. But they have they take different sides of things. Like, for instance, you have some systems where there is a berserker character that can just berserk whenever they want, and it just is what it is, or rage, or whatever you want to call it. And then you have other systems where it's like, if you want to cast a spell, you have to lose hit points to cast your spell, and then you still have to roll to cast. And if you fail to cast, then your head explodes and your magic user is dead, right? You have like that. No, I'm exaggerating all this. But, you know, you have these like extremes. And I like stuff that's kind of in the middle where it's a choice you can make. There might be some downside to it, but there's also a positive. So as you said, this would be, this would fall into that category. It's like, you're going to get that burst. And if you time it right and you're like, we need to win this combat, then it might be worth it, right? If in the end you do it and you win that combat or you don't, and then you all of a sudden are ambushed on your way home and now your character is all beat up and can't, you know, fight as well, that was a choice you made. I I guess you could think like maybe possibly, now I'm going to uh, whisper in GM territory or talk about adversarial, but maybe that could be something that a jerky DM might do and be like, oh, they're weakened now, I'm going to send extra monsters against them that I wasn't going to before. But again, I try not to worry about that. I, like, I try not to think about the players that are and GMs that are going to come into things with an attitude that I, I would consider a bad attitude. Uh, you know, I guess if some people love that type of play, that's that's fine. But yeah, I think looking at things and saying, hey, if the table thinks that's cool, why not, right? But I think based on what Riley said, he may be correct that it may be too steep a penalty. 
And since it's only really going to probably mostly affect players, it might just be too much. Because considering how long healing takes in my game, if you do get bloodied, you do get that quick burst, which might make you survive that scene. But very likely for the rest of that game until you can heal, you're going to be very weakened. It might just be too much. I don't know. I, I was kind of just what part of it is, is that kind of going sideways here again, but is that I wanted to, because hit points in my game are only spent in very few things like man-to-man combat, being hit by a dragon's breath, certain spells. I wanted it to feel more like wounds, right? Like you actually are taking damage when you're losing hit points and not have that I think that people often criticize games like D&D for, which is, oh, you can fight just as well at one hit point as you could at full hit points. And... At the same time, still allow that to be the case because most of the combat that you're going to have in this game is abstract or fantasy. So it's not going to really affect you. If you have one hit point, you still fight just as good in abstract combat. It would would only affect you in man-to-man in the fact that you'd be easier to kill the way it stands right now. This would allow it to carry over into the other types of combat. But you know what? I think it probably was a good idea for me to think about. I like the idea of a, a barbarian type being able to pump themselves up. And I actually like this a lot. I think that like you could do something like this. Like I'm thinking now, like treating berserkers like this. Like if you have berserkers in your uh, in your game, you know, I think currently they attack at like a plus two or something instead of a plus one. Maybe I could do something where like if the leader, you know, makes some kind of a, uh, hypes them up or they do something then maybe they get up, they make a morale check. And if they succeed, then they get some kind of bonus. And you could, again, have the players learn how to do this for their own fighting uh, warriors that they bring into the game. So that could be a little cool, like side mechanic, like take a turn to pump up your, your troops. If they make their morale check, then they, uh, they fight better. And maybe if they fail it, then they fight worse, right? That'd be kind of fun. So yeah, it's some fun stuff we can do with these games. There's lots and lots of different ways to play. And not everything has to be a locked-in mechanic. Sometimes you could do stuff just for a couple sessions and see how it works out. So thanks for calling in, Direct Sun, Jason, Riley, Merck. All the calls were great this week, as always. It's always good to hear from people. Let me know, anybody, if you want to be involved in this zine machine. We need a good name for it now. The zine machine doesn't make any sense, but it rhymes. So if you know something else that rhymes with zine that it does that actually does make sense, let me know so we can have a good name for it. We'll start a little hub of people, gamers, creators, humans, for the most part, I think, mailing letters to each other with fun gaming ideas each month. And we'll see where that ends up. There you go. That's the show for the week. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Please do call in if you've got anything to say. All those links are in the show notes. What else was I going to say? Oh, Discord. If you're not on my Discord, all that stuff's down there. I'll talk to you soon.